a very special episode. Since it's Christmas time, we would like to make a note for our listeners that may not celebrate Christmas. We see you and we understand how overwhelming the Christmas season can be. We want to wish everyone who does not celebrate Christmas the warmest of wishes. We hope our Jewish listeners had a very blessed Hanukkah. And anyone who celebrates have a happy Kwanzaa. And especially for our pagan friends, may you have a blessed Yule and solstice. Our family is an Irish Catholic one, so Christmas is a bit of a big deal in our house. If you have to spend the holidays away from your loved ones, good for you for being safe. I know it feels really lonely, but losing your loved ones forever is a lot more lonely. And if you are seeing your parents, like we are, make sure you've been tested negative and have quarantined for a week before. And for those of you that are less than thrilled to be spending the holidays with your families because you feel like you have to, we have a special gift for you. Today, Ellie and I are going to look for an entry that is Christmas-themed, but with a twist. Specifically, we want to find an entry about the origins of the many pagan traditions that have been co-opted by Christians for Christmas. So, if you want to ruin Christmas for relatives you don't like feel free to tell this story at the dinner table. So let's see what Christmas horrors the book has in store for us. All right. Uh, Oh, look. Oh, it looks like it has a whole holiday section. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yule recipes. How to win a husband with your Yule moon cookies. That doesn't sound horrifying at all. Proper apologies for the trees. That makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, mistletoe, not just a romantic root. Bacchus's winter fashion, ivy and other plant-based clothing. Now that just well, sounds iconic. That's and just because you love poison ivy. You know what? You're you're right. But I mean, she's she's so I mean, hot. I mean, <laughs> she's so yeah. Pretty. Poison Ivy and Harley forever. <laughs> Five ever. They're adorable. It's fine. Oh, yes. Yes, they are. Um, oh, oh, look at this last one. Harling. A history. Now, you see, none of these entries sound like they're scary. They all sound really they delightful. Um, but why don't we do the last one? You know how Dad loves caroling. Maybe we'll have a fun story to tell mm. him about its history when we see him. <laughs> yeah, Dad does love mm-hmm. caroling. All right, uh, let's see. Caroling, a history, page 999. Long, long ago, in a land beset by frost and snow of a long and dark winter, a tribe of northern folk appointed their new king. This was likely not a true king as we would think of it, mind you. Not a lineage monarch, nor a station of absolute power held for years unending, until old age or illness or assassination parted the man from his role. 
Very likely, the operation of the tribe's politics, war efforts, and the economy would fall to another so named, or a council of elders, or the like. No, this king was not chosen for the people, but he was chosen for the gods. And so the gods were left to decide upon him. Perhaps it was a hard bean, or a jewel, or even a figurine, baked into a large cake or loaf of bread. And the gods would choose him in the portion he was served, and know him by the breaking of his teeth, as was done by the Romans in their Saturnalia, though their kings held the title for only a day, and with far less to worry about at its conclusion. Oh, is this like the that tradition where you bake the, what is it, you bake the Francis or bake the Jesus, like the little figurine? Baby, baby Jesus, it's a king cake. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that you do for Mardi Gras for Fat Tuesday. Oh, right. yes, um, yes. I remember so that. it's a little bit later in the celebration times because it falls at right before Lent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just like yeah. for a raw single day. Not for like the king cake really, but for some of these like cake things, they would use um, money. Oh. So you'd bite into a piece of silver and that would, oh, and you would break, break your, your teeth, teeth for yeah. sure. It sounds painful. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Or perhaps... To be king, they would draw straws or toss bones, or maybe the tribe's cunning folk would determine the gods' will through their divinations. So do you have any idea how fucking wild Saturnalia is? No, and I would be insulted if you did not tell me. Okay, so as you can imagine, it is a celebration of the Roman god Saturn, Mm -hmm. uh, who the Romans believed ruled this world and ushered them into their golden age. It was a time when social norms were out the window. Slaves could be nasty to their masters. Men could dress as women. Women could dress as men. And it was literally considered lawful to be hammered all the time. (laughs) It also ended with some kind of sacrifice at the Temple of Saturn or another designated holy site. This sounds like an ancient version of SantaCon. Honestly, the absolute fuckery of it is a lot like SantaCon, but it lasted way longer than just one day. Gambling was permitted, which was not normally a thing in Rome, and people were encouraged to give gifts, and they could give meaningful gifts or gag gifts. People were giving gag gifts to each other in ancient Rome? People were having insane orgies and writing about them on walls in ancient Rome. Honestly, humans have not changed much in 3,000 years. Nope. The people would draw lots to see who would be the king of Saturnalia, and he could make you do whatever he wanted. Oh, okay. So like like the entry says, but for Saturnalia, this sounds like it would turn dark real quick. It probably did. This is actually thought to be the origin of the Lord of Misrule in British and Scottish folklore. Oh, Lord of Misrule sounds like he'd probably be a lot of fun at parties. I mean, depending on who the Lord of Misrule is, yes. But it was thought to be a time of merriment and celebration, which is probably the reason that early Christians used it as a cover to try and celebrate Christmas. Speaking of that, let's get back to the entry. Not that this isn't fascinating, because it definitely is, but I don't want this to turn into a half-hour lecture about ancient Roman holidays. You're right. I'm not a college professor. Yet. Yet. (laughs) Yet being the operative word. Look, I'm too far in to get out of the system now. Oh, no, I I (laughs) feel you. I feel you. I believe in you. (laughs) All right, so where was I? Oh, 
Here we go. Whatever the method, the king was chosen, and he would hold his station for a year until the knights grew again with their unbearable depth and the cold of winter threatened them once more. He would be granted nearly any request and have the pick of the mead and the meat and the hunting. He would be lavished for a year and held in high and fattening regard. And then winter would come again and with its long nights and its cold winds and its heavy snow, and it would be time to choose a new king and send the old king to the gods. That probably means what I think it means, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The king would be stripped of his regalia and tools, stripped of his wool and linen and furs, a blooded, anointed, and then set out to run naked through the snow. His tribesmen and even his kin would follow. With spear and sword and bow, they would follow. In joyous solemnity, the king's last hunt, his sacrifice, his joining with the other world was a holy thing. A promise that the sun again would rise, a bargaining chip against the tempestuous gods to assure the return of summer. And when the king finally lay still, candy cane red upon a stark white of winter, they would gather him up, dress him in his finest raiment, and parade his noble repose around the tribe's lands upon a palanquin, uh, oh, a palanquin, or gurney, knocking on the doors of homes or the longhouses that the people might see their king in his final splendor, in his true form, and they would sing for him. Um, okay, like, I get they would kill the king, that's mm-hmm. the sacrifice, that seems the thing, yeah. but the book is saying they carried his corpse around and sang about it? I... It would seem. They would sing of their beloved and noble king, dead, but alive again in the realm of their deities, his body a promise to the people that the gods would see fit to thaw their frozen world and their singing was for the gods too a gentle reminder to the other world that they had sent them their best their most beloved and lavished an act perhaps at times but one ritualized and therefore true enough the sun would begin to rise earlier and the hard grasp of winter would slowly abate thereafter this though was untenable as the world changed Perhaps the tribe missed a year, and the world did not end. Or perhaps a king got away, but winter still fled. Or perhaps they simply met others who did not do such things to make the sun rise. Slowly, the sacrificed king became a symbol instead of a man, often a wren. The king of birds was hunted instead, its body decorated with ribbons and set in a delicate box, or later, simply placed on a stick. But still, the king was marched about, paraded by young hunters who would sing of his splendor and his sacrifice. In exchange for treats or coin from the houses that they brought such tidings to. Oh, isn't that, um, don't they parade the bird on a stick in Ireland, I think? Don't they do that around this time of year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's on St. Stephen's Day. It's uh, the Wren's Hunt. Oh! Wow. This must be super old if it's talking about how the Wren Hunt began. Mm-hmm. 
Can I read the rest? Oh, of course. As word came on the lips of evangelists and Christian travelers of a holy king who died to save them, dead, but alive elsewhere, it all made a sort of sense, and so very little needed to be changed. And so it is done still. Young and old gather at doorsteps and thresholds to sing of their king, of ancient fables, of birth and sacrifice. Red and white adorn the houses of the doors on which they knock, as blood once adorned the snow so very long ago. No casket accompanies them now. No grim box with a dead bird is shown upon neighbors' doors. But we sing of them anyway. We use new words and new fables and new stories, but we've not stopped singing. So much of what we do even now is ritual. Practices first put into motion at the first inklings of the sublime by our ancestors, far removed now from their purpose, but still holding the weight of millennia within it. One must wonder then at every feast and every song and every marking of the year. Whose story is this? Who do we honor now with our cookies on the table and our feasts and our wine? There are new gods to honor, or even no gods at all at these tables. But still, our actions are in the rough pantomime with our stark and violent past. So who, truly, do we still sing for? Winter comes and goes, and so it must be enough. But we will never know what gods we may have angered by forgetting them, by denying them their king. If we ever do learn, it shall be too late. And that, dear listeners, the history of caroling is exactly the type of Christmas horror we were looking for. If you want to ruin Christmas, feel free to tell your family members this story. You know that we definitely will be. How does the book know exactly what we needed? Like, we could have picked any of those entries, and we ended up picking the one that's about blood and gore. Just lucky, I guess. You know, weird shit keeps happening to us because of this book. Although, I do think the look on Dad's face will be so worth it. I think he'll be both horrified and intrigued. You know how he gets when I tell him shit like this. Or when I try to explain to him the plot of a Cirque show. He'll smile and nod and then ask us how we think the Phillies will do this year. And then launch into the rivalries and the team matchups. And we're going to be good this year. We're going to be good. He's so pure, listeners. (laughs) He's, He's literally the purest. So, to all our listeners that celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. And for those that don't, we hope you have a very average day. Remember, stay safe, wear a mask, and be mindful this holiday. And be thankful for your health. We love you all. Happy Happy holidays. holidays! The Legendary Handbook was created and developed by Caitlin Chin, Miriam Bloom, Unique Trapman O'Brien, and Gabrielle Cerubo. 
It was written by Gabrielle Sarubo, Unique Trebman O'Brien, Jen Coetz, Gregory D.A. McDonald, and Zihope Simon. It was produced by Caitlin Chin and Cirque Tanui. Edited by Alex Santulo, Caitlin Chin, and Gabrielle Sarubo. And our voiceover actors were Cordelia, played by Kate Conover, Eleanor, played by Gabrielle Sarubo, Fiona, by Jossia Reese, and Mel, by Megan Andrew. The original music was composed by Undina. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you next time.